Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. For these and other great resources, please visit us at sparkswillfly.cc. Amen. Let's go to the book of Ephesians, 6th chapter. We just steady rolling in the same vein. Amen. How many's had a good week? I said, how many's had a good week? Praise God. Amen. It's good to be back. We'll be um, going on the road this week. Be in Pavo, Georgia. Big city of Pavo. How many knows where that's at? I think it's off of I-10 somewhere along in there. I've never been there. That's what Stanton told me. No. <laughs> we will be in Pavo, Georgia, Tuesday night. I'll be preaching at 7 o'clock. At Abundant Life Church. So, Abundant Life. Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, you want to be with us. I'll be preaching in Sparks, Georgia, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. And then preaching here this morning, amen. So, um, how many members what we preached last, last Sunday? Show of hands. I ain't got enough. We'll preach that again. But I want to do a recap a little bit of that. But we, listen to me. We're traveling on an important journey here. Even with the songs that we're singing, there's a reason why that they're singing the songs that they're singing. That I do believe that God's about to develop a sound that come from this house. That we got to quit barring the sound from other places. The sound's going to come from here. And, um, and I just really believe that God's trying to put us in an in identity of sonship. And it looks a whole lot different. And this morning I'm going to preach some things that I promise you will challenge you. And um, if you've got a Baptist background, you're going to be good. If you've got a Pentecostal background, you're going to struggle. You okay? But I know this, I want my eyes to be open to all that's available to me as a believer. Come on, somebody. I said, I want my eyes to be open to all that's available as a believer. And I do believe just as they sung, the Father has won the war. Jesus has won the war. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus has won the war. I rest in total victory. Come on, somebody. Father, we just rest in that goodness, Lord, knowing that you're a good father. And Lord, I pray today, Father, as I preach and as, Lord, I teach, open our eyes to see what is the richness of the inheritance in the saints in Christ Jesus, God. Open our eyes to see, Father, in Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, first of all, before we read this, I want to go over a couple of things that we said last Sunday, just some highlights of the points. Number one, I said that a victorious life begins with right thinking about God. A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, the most important thing to you is what you think when you think about God. The most important thing is, is what you think about when you think about God. Right, the victorious life begins with right thinking about God. Number two, what we talked about, because we talked a lot about warfare is that 
And I said this, if we've allowed poor theology to identify us as survivors waiting for the rapture instead of overcomers advancing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Y'all going to help me this morning. You don't help, I'll preach two hours and I can. I'm locked and loaded with notes. Listen to this. We have, we have allowed poor theology to identify us as survivors waiting for the rapture instead of overcoming, advancing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. There should not be a believer in this room that's sitting on a pew waiting on the rapture to happen. You should be walking into full authority. Come on, somebody, that Christ has given you as ambassadors on the earth to expand the kingdom. That means on my job, come on somebody, in Walmart, in Harvey's, wherever I'm at, I am locked and loaded with the kingdom of God on the inside of me. We're not just some beggars and paupers waiting on to be rescued out of debt and all these things. One of the lies I've said last Sunday that we believed is that there is an increase in demonic activity in our day. I was just somewhere... And, and they brought up about this deal on the news, you, you know, with this lady out and wherever she's at that's in a vegetated state that just gave birth. And one of the guys says, there's more evil in our day. I said, man, are you crazy? There's not more evil in our day. You ever read about the Holocaust? There's a whole lot. There's not, listen, that's the lie that the church has bought into that there's more demonic spirits. Look at your neighbor says, there's no more demons on the earth now than when Jesus walked. Hello, if you bind the lie, you're going to believe that there's more against you than what's for you. The Bible says that only a third fell with Satan. That leaves two-thirds still with us. Come on, somebody. They'd be more for me than what's against me, right? And the Scripture says if God be for me, then who in the world could ever be against me? I'm on the winning side. We also said this last Sunday because I'm just trying to lay some groundwork to go further into where we're at. Adam did not live with the rea- live in reality of an adversary, but lived in response to the presence of God. When God put Adam in the garden, he didn't take him in a war room and tell him there was an adversary on the loose. He only showed him his presence and, and allowed him to walk with him what? In the cool of the day. So to the believer... My job is not to battle things out in this life, but to live, listen to me, to live at a place of devotion in the secret place with God. Jesus said it like this, He is the vine and I am the branch. Abide in me, listen, my job as a believer is simply to work on that connection point of abiding. The war is over that point, not over demons and devils. Come on, somebody. The war is to keep me in that place of connection and devotion. I got it right here, Alan Mike. The war is to keep me at that place. Everything fights the war against that place of the secret place to pull me out of that connection. Fear, anxiety, depression, all of that wars to pull you off of that place of connection to the vine. Y'all, y'all with me? Now, let's go in right here. And one of the things that I was thinking about is to go in any Christian bookstore. And here's the thing. Let me just say this too. I'm not, I'm not saying that warfare doesn't exist. I'm just saying this, what I'm preaching this morning, that is not just something I've read in a book, but I've lived out in my life. I've spent most of my Christian life as a good warrior. 
But what I read last week is that there's some things that God will never give you as an inheritance if you live your life as a warrior. Because an inheritance only belongs to sons. This is so good. And we read the scripture out of Chronicles where David could not build the house, but Solomon was allowed to build it because David was what? A man of war and shed blood. And so God, there's just some things that God will never give the warrior. And the reason why he will not give it to you is because you will believe because you advanced the kingdom through warfare, that's how you possessed it. There is the other aspect of the kingdom unless we come to him as a little child. A child doesn't know anything about war. He just simply receives. I've not seen Asher or John Bentley. I've not heard them come in this church and say, I wonder if the lights is going to be on when we get home. They just know that the lights is going to be on. Why? Because they have a father in the house that's going to pay the bill. I've not heard them, I've not heard them talk about, I've not heard them come in here worried about uh, uh, being broke or anything like that. Why? Because they have a presence of the father in the house. And the same way with you and I, we have a good dad in heaven that provides for his children. He can, he's never going to get defects called on him. Come on, somebody. He's a good father. Lord, I might plow a little bit this morning, but that's okay. All right, now let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. If you was raised in a Pentecostal church, you know exactly these verses of Scriptures. Because these verses of Scripture talks about being suited up with the whole armor of God that you may get out there and do the war. But after, after on this journey I've been on, and um, in some time... I've gotten fresh revelation into these verses of Scripture. And I believe that, that, there's, that the point is not the Roman soldier at all. And I want to go through that this morning. You okay? All right. Now, I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. If you don't have it, get it. Okay? Listen to this. Now, my beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for last. Be supernaturally infused with the strength through your life union with Jesus Christ, with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. Let's look at this again. Now, my beloved ones, I've saved the most important truths for last. Be supernaturally infused with the strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. One thing that I have found to be true, Jess, is depression and anxiety cannot stand in the presence of God. I don't care how depressed I am. Come on, somebody. When I get at a place of worship, I am amazed at how that leaves. He says, "What be, be, supernaturally, be, be supernaturally infused with strength through what your life union with the Lord Jesus. Put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that we'll be protected as you fight against evil strategies of the accuser. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings. Most of the church needs a revelation of that. We can't advance the ground because we're fighting each other. Come on, I ain't got time to get in that, but that's a good rabbit right there. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Because of this, you must wear what all of the armor that God provides so you are protected and you are confident you, that you, as you confront the slander, for you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. Put on truth as a belt so to strengthen you to stand in triumph. 
Put on holiness as a protective armor that covers your heart. Stand on your feet alert. Then you will always be ready to share the blessings of peace. In every battle, take faith as, you, as, your, as your wraparound shield. For it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. Embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance. My God, that's good. Embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance. Salvation just doesn't mean the forgiveness of sin. Look at me. It doesn't just mean the forgiveness of sin. It means deliverance of torment and the healing of your body. It's time to church get the whole package. Come on, somebody. Psalms 110 says, forget not all my benefits. When you sign up for a job, they offer you a benefit package. Can I tell you that Jesus gave you a benefit package over 2,000 years ago? And that was deliverance from torment, the healing of your body, and the forgiveness of sin. Mm. My God. Embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance like a helmet to protect your your thoughts from lies and take the mighty razor-sharp spirit uh, sword of the spoken word of God. Pray passionately in the spirit as you constantly uh, intercede with every form of prayer at all times. Pray the blessing of God. Pray the blessings of God upon all believers. All right, now, listen to this. For years we focused on the equipment of the soldier and have missed the real revelation of salvation, righteousness, truth, faith, the word of God, and the peace. Put on the whole armor of God is what he says. Listen to this. This where he says, put on the full armor of God, literally means from God. So there's more to this armor that's in Ephesians chapter 6. If you'll stay with me, we got some good stuff this morning. I'm talking about some filet mignon, okay? I didn't come with hot dogs and ham sandwiches. And I'm telling you, if we'll get this right here, we'll watch a shift change in our whole mindset and how we approach God and how we approach prayer in the kingdom and every aspect of it. And so Paul, what you got to understand, he's writing from a jail cell. Most theologians believe that the book of John's gospel and Ephesians is the most depth book of the Bible. The spirit, I mean, he's given the mystery of the bride of Christ in the book of Ephesians. He starts out by running. He, he, in the middle, he's talking about walking. And at the end of the book, he's talking about standing. And so what you got to understand is he's in this jail and he's in his eyes begin to notice in the very dim light what this Roman soldier looks like. The Roman soldier was only the inspiration. It was not the source of his writing. Because he's writing from a place that he realized that he has far more armor than Roman soldier. And what, what, it, what has happened is, is religion has taught us that we sit here and we got to wake up every morning and put on a helmet. We got to wake up every morning and put on shoes. We got to wake up every morning and put on a breastplate. Come on, somebody. We got to wake up every morning and put on a belt that we may be just able to make it by the time we get back home in the afternoon without having our teeth kicked in and our family destroyed. Come on, so I don't believe that is what Paul's writing about. I believe he's writing it as, as an instrument 
inspirational piece looking at this soldier but realizing he's in a whole level he's in a whole different camp come on somebody he's not a Roman soldier but he's a soldier and a son of the Lord Jesus Christ and he's looking at how this Roman soldier is protected but what he wants us to know is how much more are we protected and how much more are we gifted than this Roman soldier now I want us to look at this. Pull up 2 Corinthians uh, it, right there. Um, I want to read you this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. Talking about armor here. Now listen to this. Another thing. <clears throat> I might have wrote this down wrong. Should have looked over these notes. No, right here. Listen to this. How many members in the it was in the when the in First Samuel seventeen where the children of Israel was held up in the valley of Elah? They 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 battling Goliath. Goliath has got them held up, and so Saul brings David comes down. Remember with the bread and the cheese and to talk to his brothers to see how the war was doing. His brothers got angry at David. They accused him of all kind of stuff. And he overhears Saul talking about whoever's going to take out Goliath. He ain't going to have to pay taxes. He's going to give him his daughter, give him plenty of land. That inspired David to go out and want to fight Goliath, right? How many, you're with me now. But when he goes to fight Goliath, what does, it, what, does, what does Saul do? The only mentality Saul had is that David had to put on what? His armor. David what? Rejected the armor and said, no, I'll go fight him just like this. Are you with me? So I believe that we're, we're shifting out of this place. Listen to me. God's trying to get us out of this place where we've been armored up trying to do all kind of battle. And Matt knows this. We were cutting up this week and we were talking about where Matt used to holler out. You know, he would holler out. He said, I, I was made for war. I was made for battle, Lord. And I'm like, my God, I'm wielding the sword. You know what I'm saying? Because I know that because I was trained on that. Are you with me? But when you, what I want you to understand is that our church, we attacked everything coming up. There was a spirit behind everything. Now listen to this. Just to break the ice in here, I got a call one night. Catherine will remember this. I got a call from the hospital. And they called me and said, we need you to come down here. That we got somebody manifesting a devil. And immediately I said, I, I don't think they're manifesting a devil. And this girl told me, she said, I'm telling you right now, she's manifesting a devil. I need you to get down here. I said, well, you cast the devil out. And so we go down there and I, I took a guy with me. He was actually driving. I said, I don't believe this girl's demon possessed. And it wasn't a patient. It was a nurse. I said, I just don't believe the demon possessed. So we pulled up there and we got out. And, and so when I got out of the truck, I'm, I'm telling you, like, that there, was this, there was this small road that was separating where this individual was sitting. And, and so I seen him outside. And, and so I got out of the truck. When my foot hit the ground, this lady turned almost like an owl, completely like supernaturally with a head. I said, that's a demon right there. I don't need no book. I'm telling you right now, that's a demon. And so we, we're headed up there. You know, the girl's sitting outside. They got her outside the hospital. I'm headed up there. And, and so as we, we approach, 
I mean, it just started manifesting. I'm talking about doing all kind of stuff. I mean, she was trying to projectile uh, spit. I mean, just spitting like 20, 30 feet out there. It was just a uh, supernatural thing. And so anyhow, about this time, I seen the security guard. He was coming up the side street. I said, oh, my Lord, this is to be something right here. Can I remember this? Now, listen to this. Her parents, somebody had already called her parents. Her pa- parents come up there. As we got just across the street, the security guard's coming up. And so I, I go back and I, I mean, I knew things is fixing to get crazy. So I tell the security guard, I said, listen here. I said, I don't know what you believe or anything, but this girl's demon possessed. We fit to cast the devil out of her. He said, I plead the blood of Jesus right now. You know what I'm saying? He, he just, he stayed at a distance. And I'm telling you, this is a true story. I can give you, give you somebody called verify this. Listen to this. They called her parents. Her parents had tried to get her delivered a while back because they took it to somebody that was in the deliverance ministry. Now, I'm not here to, battle, to challenge anybody's theology, but show me anywhere there was a deliverance ministry in the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew 10, go preach the kingdom. Come on, are y'all with me now? Go preach the kingdom. Freely you give, freely you receive. Cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. It was all in one command. What I have found, that, that listen, I can make people mad. What I have found, people that label themselves in the deliverance ministry are supernatural people that try to look like they got more knowledge than everybody else in the church. What I have found, going behind so-called deliverance ministries is they never get the individual free. Come on. This has been my experience. I'm also evolving and learning. So we go up there. And, and about this time, I hear, I hear wheels squealing. Tire, I mean, like, like something's to happen. And this Crown Vic is going sideways. Like it's right here. Crown Vic pulls right up to the front of the hospital where this girl slings the car in park. Two people out. It's mom and dad. They got the family Bible off the coffee table. I'm talking about like this. You with me now? Family Bible like this, about this thick, they go up there and open the Bible over the, per, over the girl's head, commanding all kind of stuff. I mean, this demon's herking and jerking with the front out there by the thing, and I'm thinking, my God, first of all, she needs deliverance from these two people pull up here with the King James holding over her head. That demon ain't fitting to respond to nothing like that. Hello? I'm just trying to help you where I come from. We used to couldn't go to a city to preach till we sent someone in to fast and pray to bind the demons. Jesus never did that, friend. He simply walked up in Mark 5 on the land of Gadara where a man was demon-possessed with legions of devils. And when the kingdom stood on the land of Gadara, that demon come and bow down. Hello? Hello? So finally we get the parents. And I said, I said, I said, first of all, man, I'm not, I'm, I'm, it ain't gonna do nothing when you lay in the Bible over her head, pouring oil all over. I simply said this devil, come out in the name of Jesus Christ. Boom, immediately. Well, this is so, so I do, I do some counseling. We do some counseling with this individual. But let, let, let me say this we got to a point. To where we couldn't get the girl total free. And I prayed and I prayed, command and command and command everything I knew to do. I mean, I did everything I know to do. And we couldn't get, there was just one blockage point. And the Lord spoke to me. The Lord, Lord said this, said she had unforgiveness in her heart. 
and she don't forgive, I can't forgive. Trying to help you here. Now see, here's a mind-blowing revelation of Matthew 18. The Bible says those that harbor unforgiveness in their heart, the scripture says that he will send the tormentors to come. Hello, am I in the book? Matthew 18 says the tormentors will come. So we, we get down here and I start touching unforgiveness and finally it had to do with a spouse and she screamed out, I'll never forgive. I'll never. I said, it don't mean you got to trust them. Don't mean you got to eat with them. Don't mean you got to go on a date. It just simply means you got to let them go of the punishment you think they deserve. When they release that forgiveness, boom, she got total freedom. So I did this interview. I saw, I said, where you go? Should we go into this deliverance ministry? And what they would do is, I'll dig some more in this Wednesday night. They pray over them and try to figure out the name of the demon. I've never understood that. If the Bible calls Satan the father of lies, why in the world are you going to try to ask him his name? He's going to lie anyhow. Jesus never asked the devil its name. Oh, man. So, so here's the deal. We're dressed for battle in the church because Paul tells us to put this armor on and so we get ready to take care of everything we got to do to, present, to, to try to make a pathway. What I believe God is trying to elevate us to a place is to realize that he's already won the war. Come on, somebody. That we could stay at a place of devotion and inherit everything that he promised we would have by simply growing in grace in what he's already done. Now, Listen to this. I heard one guy say this. Why would you settle for a helmet when you've been promised a crown? Why would you settle for the blessed plate of righteousness when you can walk in the identity of the robe of righteousness? It's one thing to have a breastplate. It's a whole nother level to have a robe. A robe belongs to the sun and the sun... Do you understand my children have everything I have? Why? Because I own it, they own it. This is the same thing as the believer. When your father said he owns a cattle of a thousand hills, guess what? You own the cattle of a thousand hills. When the father says I've won the war, guess what? You get to set at a place of victory. Why? Because Jesus has already proclaimed victory. Now let's look at this. Y'all making me preach harder than what I thought. Listen to this. We commend ourselves to you by the truthful teachings, by the power of God working through us. And with the mighty weapons of righteousness, a sword in one hand and a shield in the other. Now, this talks about the armor of what? Righteousness. Now, look at this verse of scripture. Romans chapter 13. I used to like to hear the pages turning, but I'm telling you what. Technology, you got to get with the times. It makes it so much easier. Listen to this. Night's darkness is dissolving away as a new day of destiny dawns. So, so, so we must once and for all strip away, strip away what is done in the shadows of darkness, removing it like filthy clothes, and once and for all, we clothe ourselves with the radiance of light as our weapon. Here's talking about the armor what? Of God, the armor of light, and the armor of righteousness. You covered is what I'm trying to tell you. And where the enemy defeats you at is getting you to doubt that you covered. This is how he won with Eve in the garden. Did God say? Half God said. If you don't know what God said, you already defeated, friend. Oh my good God Almighty. 
If you don't know what he has said, then you've already defeated. But can I tell you, I don't care what the doctor says when you know what God said. It don't matter what any report looks like. I don't care what the checkbook says. You don't know what God said. And when you stand on what God said, what God said will begin to start prevailing for you. All right. Let's, 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 let's look at this. The breastplate is not about the physical armor, listen to this, but about righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, if you pray, you fast. Here's, listen to this. Romans 8 says this. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation. Is that what it says, right? Y'all got the Bible open right here. Check us out. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that what it says? Now, if you got a new King James, this is fixing to be italicized, right? Who walk not after the flesh, but what? After the Spirit. Who's got a new King James? Is it not italicized right there? And if you look and it's got a middle heading there, it's going to say in you amidst this latter part of this verse. Because when the King James commentator sat down, they could not believe God's righteousness is that good. That they had to put a stipulation that if you walk in the spirit and not after the flesh, that was added. There, now, this is how, therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Period. Let's go a little deeper. Righteousness is not earned, it is inherited. Woo, look at your neighbor. Say, righteousness is not earned, it is inherited. I am the righteousness of God not because I'm a Bible thumper. Not because I go to church on Wednesday night. Not because I pray in tongues. I am righteous this morning because of the imputed righteousness from Jesus Christ into my life as receiving him. Y'all want some bad to the bone scriptures? Look at this right here. In Romans chapter 5. I like to got snatched up. I'm telling you, I thought I got raptured by reading these verses of scripture right here. In my office this week, I've never preached from these verses right here that the power of God didn't hit the place like a lightning bolt. I'm telling you, I got snatched up. Listen to this. This is, this is, this is the Lord this morning trying to get you out of a breastplate into a robe. He's trying to get you out of a breastplate into a robe. I've seen this over and over. People get saved, come to the house of God, start out running like a, I mean, running like a jackrabbit. I mean, wide open, only to fizzle out with just a few, just, just in a few short months. You know what happens? Let me tell you what happens. What happens is they mess up. And then that voice begins to shout to them so loud, what you got wasn't real. Let me give you a clue in this room right here. There ain't none of us in here that ain't messed up. I'm fitting to shock you a little further. Probably ain't nobody in here that ain't messed up in 2019. Hello. What sets us apart is we got back up. I got back up. Come on. We get the Bible says a righteous may fall seven times, but it gets up again. You got to learn how to drown that voice with the robe of righteousness. Listen, hey, I did mess up. You ain't lying, but you know what? He did mess up, and I belong to him, and I receive everything he's got for my life. God, I'm having to holler. Listen to this. 
The robe of righteousness is resting in an identity that what he did was good enough. I think about my dad. 52 years of age, died. Pancreatic cancer. When I was a youngin', my dad lived like a hellion. He, did, he just did. He was a great father, but he didn't know nothing about church life. And so... I mean, I'd do all kinds. I would, when I would preach and stuff, I would take my, I would take where I'd wipe my sweat off my head. I'd put that in his pillows. God give him all kinds of dreams. You know what I'm saying? And so anyhow, at, my dad got saved. And so I remember, can't remember this. I remember sitting on the side of his bed. And I said, Dad, I got to know now. I'm a preacher of the gospel. Spirit filled, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Preacher. I said, Dad, I got to know. I said, I said, I want you to answer this question. I said, Dad, I said, if you die tomorrow, how do you know that you're going to spend eternity with God? I was waiting on the answer. Well, I've been going to church. Man, y'all better get off this morning. How many funerals we go to in the South? This well, he was just a good person. Good people don't go to heaven. Hey, a lot of good people go straight to hell. Come on. Hello. Good people don't go to heaven and bad people don't go to hell. Those that receive Jesus Christ go to heaven. So he looks at me and I'll never forget what he said. He said, because I believe what Jesus did for me was enough. I said, that's the only reason why you're going. And that's the perfect answer. And so July the 31st, 2006, he went to be with the Lord. He's there today. You with me now? Listen to this. The robe of righteousness, this is where it comes from right here. This is how we start walking in it. Look at this. Verse 12. I'm in Romans 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience, and death was the result. And so death followed this sin casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. Look at this. Sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, but it was not charged against them where no law existed. Yet death reigned as king from Adam to Moses, even though they hadn't broken a command the way Adam had. The first man was Adam was a picture. The first, the first man, Adam, was a picture of the Messiah who was to come. If you go to any churches, do this. Ask them, how many sins do you have to commit? How many sins do you have to commit to become a sinner? They'll say one. That is the incorrect answer. The correct answer is zero. Come on, did we just not read this? Y'all right this morning. The reason why you the reason why you are a sinner without Christ is because of what Adam did. It was imputed to you. You didn't do nothing. You inherited it. Gosh. Look at this. Now, there is no comparison between Adam's transgression and the, grace of, and the gracious gift that we experienced. For the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. Boy, this right here, we're going to leave this house today right here. For the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. 
It's true that many died because of one man's transgression, but how much greater will God's grace and his gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many because of what one man, Jesus, the Messiah, did for us? And this free-flowing gift imparts, look at this, imparts to us much more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. God, do you understand what I'm reading to you? This is told about you crave sin as a sinner because of what one man did. Now what he said is this so far outweighs that. This means when you receive Jesus, he imparts righteousness into you and that craving for his presence so outweighs the other. Boy, I'm, about, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to speak in tongues right here. Listen to this. The free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. For because, one, because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with a verdict of guilty. Mm-mm-mm. All right. But this gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect righteousness of God acquitted with the words, not guilty. If you're ever going to walk in freedom, you're going to have to learn how to silence that voice that says you're guilty. That voice that says you're paying, you broke today because of what you did 10 years ago is an absolute lie. You can stop it today right now, friend, I'm telling you. That voice that comes up says, well, your daddy was an alcoholic, your grandfather's an alcoholic, you probably going to be an alcoholic. That's an absolute lie. There is no generational curse that is in my family. Why? Because we accepted Jesus Christ who became the curse. Come on, somebody. And righteousness now fills my family tree. Now, you can have like this. I counseled, I counseled somebody that believed they were sick one time. This was wrong with every physician. And this is simply what I told them. You have whatever you believe for. You want, to, you want to study the curse? You'll have the curse. Oh, get off me. Right here, listen to this. Death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue as reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah? Now let me finish this robe up for you. There was a son that had a wrong view of the father. The prodigal son that the King James highlights is not a story of a prodigal son. It is the story of a beautiful father. Come on, somebody. Luke 15 highlights a shepherd that will leave the 99 and go for the one. Then it highlights the story of a woman that had a lost coin. Are you with me now? And she cuts the light on in that room to find the coin. And finally, we have a son. We have two sons. One goes and blows his inheritance and returns back to the father. This is a picture of the Trinity. Listen, Jesus is the good shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes for the one. The Holy Spirit is the illumination and revelation that highlights the lost coin. 
Are you with me now? And number three is the father is that good waiting on that child to return. We know the story. He goes and blows everything, right? He comes back in, and this is how he answered him. He said, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. I will just become a hireling. I will be a hired hand if you'll just give me some check where I don't have to eat any of the hog slop. And the father looks and said, my son is home. He's at a place of safety now. He said, go get, go get the robe and he says it like this, go get my very own robe. Some of us has got to let the garments we're wearing in this house go this morning and learn how to put on God's very own robe. Drop your failure to the ground. I come to talk this morning. Listen to me to this half dead church this morning and tell you to drop your filthy rags and pick up the righteousness of God and watch that sin that does so easily easily beset you fall by the wayside. My God, you wake up every morning realizing I ain't got to put a breastplate on. Why? Because I got a robe on. I'm dressed for success every day. Divine favor follows me. Goodness and mercy at my left. My God, God's before me, behind me, all over me. How in the world could I fail? It's an identity. It's an identity living as a son. We sit last night before we went to bed. It was about, I don't know, it's probably 15 minutes before dark. I told Grandma, she, you don't kill a deer? I said, deer, she goes out tomorrow. She said, yes, yeah, so we run. <laughs> we run right by the house. Jumped up in the, jumped up in the stand. Was there about two minutes. Three old big does come out. He said, you want me to shoot one? I said, kill one. She shot one. He's a good shot. I mean, he, I thing was out there. 150 plus, I mean, he shot her facing us right in the chest, flipped her. Big old thing. She go back up there and called home. Captain them come back there, throw that thing in the back of the ranger, and he drove it over the bullets. Thank God for that. Where I come from, we didn't have no place to skin a deer. I had to skin it myself, you know what I'm saying? So it does make it a little easier. You had to go and shoot it, you know, throw it and let somebody else do it. And so I told Grant going in, I said, do you realize we were sitting back here about three weeks ago, and you said out of your mouth, if I had a ranger, I'd shoot a deer, I'd throw it in the back of that ranger, and I'd drive the bullets myself. I said, you realize God just answered something you spoke out of your mouth three weeks ago. I can't get no help up in here. I can't get no See, we so far beat down, we can't even believe for something like that. We so far beat down... I feel the Holy Ghost, man. You hear me? I feel the power of God just come on me like a, like a wave in this place. I said, you said, sitting on the porch, that if you had a ranger, you'd shoot a deer, you'd put him in the ranger, you'd haul him the bullets yourself. I said, it just happened tonight. Do you realize how good God is? I'm telling you, if we get out of an orphan mentality and get in a son, you'd be surprised what starts showing up in your lane. It don't show up in the lanes of orphans because orphans don't believe they're worthy. Hey, ain't none of us worthy of nothing. Come on. But the fact that Jesus made me worthy. Man. All right. Get out of that little breastplate. Get on the robe. I'm not worthy. He said, put my own robe on him. Look at, what, look at me right here. The Lord didn't go borrow a robe 
I'll go hand make you one. He put his own robe on you. My God. He put his own robe on him. On me. The one he wore. And it don't matter. Listen. You know that when Jesus went six days for Passover, he goes to the house of Mary. Right? Martha and Lazarus, right? They had plenty of money. He's hanging out at their house. Mary takes this bottle of nard, this perfume, anoints him. Judas got upset because he said it should have been sold, given to the poor. He didn't give a rip about the poor. He just wanted more because he was greedy. Come on now. Listen to this. I'm going to tell you about what his robe do for you. In the midst of unbelievers. She anoints his feet. If you study that out, that perfume that she put on him was the ones that kings wore. So anybody that smelt that knew they wasn't in the presence of a common man. They knew they was in the presence of a king. That's why he tells Judas and he tells the ones that got mad, he perceived in the heart and he says, she's done the good thing. Come on, somebody. The poor you're going to have with you always, but she's anointed my body, what, for the burial. So that when he leaves out of there, come on, and he goes before Pilate and he goes through all of this kind of stuff. And when he goes before those Roman soldiers, they may be beating on him, but they can't deny the smell. With every pile, with every whip, they can smell the fragrance of a king. My God, do you realize when you wear this robe, society smells the fragrance of the king. We've got to come into this identity. I ain't got, man, if I, if I don't travel on, we, my gosh, I'm on, on the first thing. Y'all hold on right here. I'm, I know how to preach fast. You hear me? If you ever fly into Atlanta, they have to go around the airport several times. You ever notice that? And Because uh, last time we come in, I said, there's a Mercedes dome, there's a Mercedes dome, there's a Mercedes. said about seven times. Notice how he'd give it more gas or water. I'm finna give it the gas. Put your seatbelt on right here. Listen to this. Listen to this. Right here. About the, about the helmet. The helmet. The helmet. Why would we wear a helmet? When we have been given a crown. Now I want you to look at this verse of scripture right here. This verse of scripture. I'm going to find it somewhere. I got it somewhere in here. I, mean, I don't even know if I wrote it down. Where is this at? Give me a second. I wrote all this in the spirit. So I'm having to, I'm having to interpret it. All right. First Corinthians. I thought that's right. First Corinthians 9.25. Said, so why are you so passionate about this? Because it changes the way you pray. It changes everything. It changes the way you see it. Because now you're not standing there begging God to do something. You stand like He's already done it. T two total different responses. Half our prayer life is begging. Begging. God, if you would, please heal me. Please heal me. You don't have to ask God to heal you, He's already healed you. We just got to walk in the manifestation. What that, Mr. Ernest, when I told you, I said, the healing's already been paid for over 2,000 years ago. We're not trying to get him healed. He's already been healed. Yeah. I remember sitting in the, I remember Dusty Clay was with me. We were sitting in a small room with Bill Johnson, about 20 people. 
And they ask him, said, what do you do while you wait? While you wait on Eric, his son, who's 80% deaf. Why do you, what do you do while you sit and wait on him to get healed? Immediately he started crying. He rose up in his seat, didn't he, Dusty? He said, we've not, we've not waited a day on his healing. He's already been healed. What he's saying is, from our standpoint and our posture, we're not waiting like some orphans on God to do something. He's already done something. We walk into victory every day at our house. How would it change if we had this shift in thinking? Instead of seeing ourselves as that little, that little soldier all suited up for battle trying to win something. Hold on, Siri's trying to talk. She's fit to speak prophetically. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 9.25 A true athlete will be disciplined in every respect, practicing constant self-control in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers. We run our, way, our race to win a victor's crown that will last forever. For that reason, I don't run just for exercise or box like one throwing aimless punches. But I train like a champion athlete and I subdue my body and get it under my control so that after preaching the good news to others, I myself will not be disqualified. What the athlete, what practices constant self-control in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly, quickly withers. But we run our race. Our race is so that we will obtain a victor's crown. You don't want to settle for the helmet. The victor's crown is exceeded from a place that he's already obtained the victory. Now I'm going to finish with this. We'll go back Wednesday night. I'm going to come right here, Adam. Mike. I'm going to drive this last point home. Because I ain't got time to get in the rest of it. Come Wednesday night and we'll, get, we'll dig deeper in this vein. That <clears throat> I was listening to this guy. And he, told, he said that he was in, he was in Ohio. He was, he was on a way to preach in Ohio. And he said God had put in his personal time, had put in his heart, he just kept hearing the word eagles. And he was just reading, you know, like Isaiah 40, 31, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their streaks, strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. Mount up with wings of eagles. And so he got there to this place and he was sharing this word with the pastor where he was going to preach. And he said, you know, I don't believe this. He said, before you got here today, I was out here. And he said, two eagles flew over the property. And he said, the eagles just started hollering. Just. You know, a hawk, when he flies over the field, he'll release that, 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 squeal or that cry over that field. What he's trying to do is put the mice and all that in fear from his voice that they'll run out and he'll catch them. But an eagle don't use his voice for that. The eagle don't use his voice for that. Disregard that facial expression. <laughs> the eagles don't use his voice for that. When the eagle cries, he cries from a place of height. And the eagle starts crying, and his cry is to the other eagles that are on the ground to take flight. Get up, is what he's saying. 
He's releasing this cry saying, get off the ground, come up. The church for so long has lived like buzzards. Buzzards stay on the ground and they eat what somebody else has killed. An eagle will never track down and eat something somebody else has killed. They killed their own prey. Trying to help us here. That means the eagle's got a prayer room. I ain't waiting for pastor to track me nothing down. Come on, somebody. I got 66 books full of a smorgasbord. Come on, somebody. I got a living relationship with the living king, somebody. Talk to me up in here. You got to learn how to track your own prey down. I appreciate Sunday mornings and I appreciate Wednesday nights, but I never give up my personal place of prayer. Come on, somebody. That's where we really track the food down. And it's a cry calling for the eagles to get off the ground. Come on. And I believe this is happening in the spirit. God is crying to call the church up. Quit getting grounded. When you're on the ground, every, I mean, you see every devil, I'm just telling you. Battling. All these different kind of spirits. People got a name for I'm talking a glutton spirit. I'm a, I, I don't, I'm just... So then, he's standing in this service and this is what he hears. The eagles don't fight. They take flight. The eagles cry out, come up. Eagles don't fight. They take flight. Listen to this right here. I'm closing with this. I feel God up in this place. The eagle with his vision can spot his prey miles away. I watched this National Geographic video and there's one place called the, sneeze, the, the, the sea snake. Got enough venom, hit a scuba diver, kill him. But he's one of the favorite meals of the eagle. The sea snake doesn't have gills it has lungs and it has it about the whole length of his body so he can't stay down forever he's got to come up fair and when he does the eagle spots him from miles away and he swoops down and with one talon he grabs that snake by the head and the other talon he grabs him in the middle of the body and listen to me instead of fighting that snake he simply soars to the altitude above the snake line. God, if y'all don't get anything, listen to me right here. He flies up in an altitude above the snake line and causes that snake's lungs collapse because he can't live at that altitude. I believe what God's trying to say to the church, the reason why we've had to fight demons and devils is because of the altitude in which we've chose to live. But God's trying to pull us up to a seated position as sons and daughters of the king. Where he told Jesus, he said, sit here till I make your enemies your footstool. When you get a revelation of that, you will not see that you will not see the shoes as boots anymore. You will see the shoes as loafers of peace where you're sitting back dining in the presence of the king. Come on, somebody. There's no need to wear no boots in this army, friend. Only loafers. Come on, somebody. Because I am a son of the most high king, I can sit here till he makes my enemies his footstool. 
This is where Paul said the God of peace shall crush. You look at peace as the absence of war. That is not true. Not biblically. True peace is in the middle of hell. You unshaken. You stand there as a spotless bride. Come on somebody in the slippers of peace. Knowing that the God of heaven's going to crush Satan underneath your feet. What the God of peace. All hell shaking. Listen, the Bible says a thousand may fall at my at my left side, ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not come nigh my dwelling. Though no weapon formed against you prosper. This is the sun. I wrote in my personal time. I said, God, I know what it's like to fight. I've been a warrior. But I want you to take me on the journey. What it's like to be a son, unmovable, unshaken, just to be able to rest and sit at the place of peace with you, Father. And I want to die and listen to me. God is telling the eagles in this room to take flight. Come off the ground. Get up. Get up. Get up. Whatever's got you, fly to an altitude until it dies. Get up. The Bible says in Revelation 4.1, come up here. John, come up. Come up. Get off of that place you're at. Come up. Come up high. Stop all that religious stuff for Lord. We just come just as humble as we know how to enter into the presence of God. The Bible never says that. It says come boldly before the throne room of God. The reason why we can walk boldly from the throne room of God because we ain't wearing our garments. We're wearing His garments. God's wanting to pull us at this place. I want to tell you this morning, whatever's got you can be broken. I'm going to say it again until I get somebody. I said, whatever's got you can be broken. Whatever lack that's been in your family for generations can be broken. Depression does not have to exist in the life of the believer. Stand up with me. Come on, Adam. I might pick me up right here. Raise your hands right here. This is not a this is not a wham bam. This is a place of receiving. Say, God, I really want to walk in that. Church, change the way you think, change the way you talk. My son, 15-year-old kid, says, Dad, if I had a ranger, I'm gonna kill a deer. I'm putting him in the back. And three weeks later, he makes it a reality. Listen to me right here. Thank you, Holy Ghost. He wants to deal with this one thing right here before we leave. Listen to this. Disappointment is depression in diapers. Disappointment is depression in diapers, according to Bill Johnson. Disappointment robs you of your future. It steals the hope within you to believe for a good thing. God, I feel the Holy Ghost right here in this room. Disappointment, listen to me, robs you of the courage and the hope to believe for a good future. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I break this off of this group of people. Our Father's not an Indian giver. He doesn't give, then take away. Gavin, come run over here and touch these drums. I just feel like I need a little something right here.
Father, right now, let this disappointment. Come on, let's just don't get in a hurry right here. Let's don't get in a hurry. Come on, just stand right here in this presence. Come on, let that disappointment go. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Let it go. You can never walk free of depression as long as you embrace disappointment. you got to let it go. It steals you of the hope and the courage to believe for something great. When Catherine was a little girl, maybe she don't don't mind me saying this, when she was a little girl, the day after Christmas, they woke up in the wee hours of the morning with her father snatching her out of the bed. Their house was on fire, burned up everything they had, lost everything. Her dad was standing in the yard in his whitey tidies at three o'clock in the morning. Lost all of her presents, everything. And for years, she lived like it's all gonna be gone tomorrow. It's all gonna be gone tomorrow. It's all gonna be gone tomorrow. That's a lie, friend. You can't build a whole theology because of what happened in one house fire. God's faithful to give. Come on, somebody. And if if the enemy steals anything from us, he got to restore sevenfold. He's got to restore sevenfold instead of looking at it like a loss. Why don't you look at a big check coming in your mailbox for everything that the enemy's took? He got to restore sevenfold. Come on, somebody. This is a heir. This is how he acts. He ain't going to sit down like a victim. He's going to stand up in the victory of Christ. For every dollar you stole from me, you bring me back sevenfold. For every relationship you destroyed in my life, you bring it back seven. I'm telling you, church, we're in the greatest days we ever seen in our natural born lives. But you gotta believe it with me. You gotta press into it. You gotta let yesterday go. You gotta let the hurts go. You gotta let depression go, disappointment. Let it go, bury it today. See yourself covered in the robe. See yourself with the crown, with the ring, with the shoes. Said, come home, son, come home. God's got more for you than you could ever dream for yourself. Father, today we throw our hands up and we say, yes, Lord, let it be unto us according to thy word. Bless me, God. Help me to believe. Let God disappoint, but kill it in me, God. Come on, there it is, church. Grab it. Receive it. Receive you the Holy Ghost. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Father, we take the boots off and we place the the loafers. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I dare you to say to the Lord, whatever it is, if I had a ranger, I'd kill a deer and I'd take him myself. 
I dare you to say something to God that's a dream in your heart. If I had it, I'd do this and you watch your father begin to move on your behalf. We're in that type of deal. Let me tell you about lavish love. Catherine can get me in a situation and she can ask whatever it will and it'll be unto her. Can I get an amen in here, fellas? I'm telling you, you can get in romance with the king that you ask whatever you will and it'll be unto you. Father, I bless these people today. I bless them with everything within me, Lord, that they would walk in their identity as sons and daughters of the King. They would wear the robe of righteousness. They would wear the ring of your authority, the crown of your victory, and the loafers of your peace. And all of this would be surrounding them with the belt of truth. In Jesus' mighty name, God bless you all. Give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. Walk in the victory, church. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night. Thanks for listening to this message. For more exciting content, visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc and connect with us on social media.